are still the church. Even in these unoppressed, unprecedented, no, unprecedented, unprecedented, I can't even say it anymore. We are still the church. I heard that over and over again, especially in the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. This has never happened before, has it? In a time where we couldn't gather as a church and everything was changing in front of us. And I know all of us experienced, like every industry had to pivot, especially to being online. And it was interesting as I kind of like think back, I think for some of us, um, March 2020, April 2020 just seems like forever ago, but it really wasn't that long ago that our worlds changed in front of us. And to be in any industry at that time was quite interesting. But to be a part of the pastoral team at that time, oh, that was so fun because everything had to pivot so quickly. And we had all these things we had to figure out for the service on how to make sure we can continue ministry at Boulder Church. But one of the things we had to figure out was how to teach the whole church how to install Zoom on your computer. Because it wasn't only that, because yeah, we could put the service on YouTube, which we had done before, which we had to figure out all the technicalities of that. But it was also trying to figure out how are we going to build that connection? How are we going to maintain connect groups? And um, so Pastor Jay uh, screen recorded a video of how to install Zoom on your computer. And it's in looking back, it's funny because I remember us thinking like that's, that's just like the main thing we have to teach the church is how to install Zoom on your computer. But we all know, who here has had to use Zoom since COVID-19? Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking for lots of hands. Okay, I see a good amount. I see a good amount. But you know, especially if you hadn't used a software or platform like that before, it wasn't just about figuring out how to get it on your computer. It also had to do with you had to figure out, well, then you're on there, but then you have, oh, what's a meeting ID? What's the passcode? How do I get that information? Oh, I have a link. Oh, but then also I have this meeting ID and passcode, but I guess I could get on there. Great, I made it on the right meeting, but now I have to figure out how do I mute myself? How do I mute myself? How do I make my speakers work? Wait, can you hear me? I can't hear you. I mean, I like in even thinking about all of those things of sitting in meetings with people trying to figure out how are we gonna make this work? By raise of hands, I'm curious, just because I know so many industries developed, who here was a student at that time that had to connect via an online medium to go to class? Okay, I see some hands over here. How about, maybe you normally wouldn't have met with your doctor or physician online, but all of a sudden you were doing some telehealth visits that were new, or you were a physician yourself doing telehealth visits. Okay, I saw more hands come up. And how about, um, actually, who, how many of you joined one of our Zoom Connect groups at that time? Right? Yeah. I'm thinking for myself, I had never done telehealth as a licensed therapist before. And Nirma uh, and I had a conversation 
I remember, because that was, I think it's, I'm going to may mess this up, Norma, but that was your area of training as a nurse, was how to, helping healthcare professionals be comfortable using telehealth. And a few months ago, we had that conversation prior to the onset of COVID-19 pandemic. And I remember telling her, oh, I would never do therapy on Zoom. Like, I just can't. I have to be in the room, in the person, in the moment. And then there I was a few months later chatting on the phone with someone, doing therapy. And I remember, I was recalling what Nirma was telling me at that time, like people think they can't do it, but with the right tools, with the right training, it feels so much more comfortable. Our world changed in front of our eyes. And as the world was changing in front of our eyes, when, it was, when we were talking about church as a ministry team, but also with people at the church, we were talking about how we're still the church. We're still a church, right? Even though we're not, you know, brick and mortar, we can still connect. We can still be with each other. And that video that you saw in the beginning was a video that we actually played in the beginning of one of our online services. And at that time, I was editing it. And I had not watched that video in a very long time. (laughs) But it's interesting how the mind, like, when you hear a certain song or see a certain visual, it just can transport you back to that moment. And while I want to say that I watched that video back and felt inspired about wanting to still, you know, feeling encouraged about being the church, I felt an immediate recall of all the stress we were feeling at that time. It just flooded back. But, you know, now that we may not be in situations as a whole world where we may be thinking to ourselves, well, we're still the church even in these unprecedented times. How do we think about church today? It's been a few years, and maybe it's too soon to have a COVID-19 sermon. I had that internal battle as I was starting to feel convicted to speak on this topic. But even as there may not be this massive pandemic that's separating us the way it did in March 2020, how do we think about church? Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we open your scripture today, I ask for a special blessing. May my words be your words. Amen. So let's open to Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, if you haven't just like sat and read the whole book of Ephesians, like from chapter 1 to chapter 6 on one sitting, I highly recommend. I'll admit I hadn't done that um, in my Christian life before, just read it from one to six in one sitting. Um, And it's interesting because when you read chapters one to three, it almost feels like a completely different book. Because when you start hitting Ephesians four, we're talking a lot of the practicality of the Christian life. Chapters one to three really focus on how God has blessed us, how God has saved us, redeemed us, the centrality and the oneness. And um, in chapter four, we start getting to that application, that how, of what is unity and maturity for the body of Christ look like? So let's go ahead, if you haven't already, Ephesians 4, there's some pew Bible should be in front of you if you don't have your Bible in front of you or any other way that you seek scripture. So Ephesians 4, um, starts out by talking about the body of Christ. And let's go ahead and read verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This life, living a worthy life, is a big 
aspect of our American lives, I'll say. You know, what kind of lives do we live? How does status, class, money, success look like? And if you are likely to ask someone, well, what's like a life worth living? It may be some of those aspects. Or it could be, well, um, other things that maybe aren't money and success and family, but or family would be important, but maybe it wouldn't be one of those quite things. But what's interesting here in verse 1, it talks about living a life worthy of the calling you have received. But what is that calling? And as I've heard this idea of living a life of a calling God has for me, um, that's kind of how I've spun it or grown up to think about, like, oh, yes, I, Vanessa, have this very specific calling, and you have to find your own specific calling, and it's very specific, and there may be some elements of truth to that, but it's, I start thinking, as I have in the past, about, well, what does God have for me specifically? But what's interesting is that there is a calling that we have as a body of Christ together. Because as we read in verse 2, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And isn't it interesting how as we get to talking about a life worthy of our calling, it immediately draws us to the, our interactions with others. Because you could think, well, yeah, I can be completely humble and gentle and patient. But you also need to bear each with each other, one another, in love. Because that's the aspect. There's a relational aspect to living this life worthy of calling. Now, verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So there's already a foundation of Christ being who we're following, and all of this coming from him. And I would say that at least in this first section of Ephesians, I believe God is making a statement here in Paul's writings about one of our callings being focusing on following Christ. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was interesting about considering the fact of our centrality and a call for unity that these verses have. That unity is sometimes not as easy as we may think. To be in all, total harmony and peace with everyone, because conflict is inevitable. As I was contemplating these verses, I tried to think, when I start my day, how long does it take for me to encounter any sort of conflict? And I'm not talking necessarily about interpersonal conflict, like when's the next time I'm going to get in an argument with someone. But what, at what point would I engage or see in society or in life a conflict? And I started thinking about that. I think it's all around us. I mean, from all the things that are happening in the world, but also even just how, what we're naturally drawn to psychologically, sometimes we're drawn to the drama. I know I've been guilty about that. But drawn to just conflict, but it really is everywhere. But I find peace in verse 7 that says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. You see, this grace isn't something that may be born within us, but it's something that Christ assures us that we will get it. 
this calling to follow, this calling to be engaged with others. But doesn't one faith, one having, being focused on one faith or one Lord or one body mean that we all end up being the same, that we may abide to the same standards and protocols and expectations? Well, maybe if we're talking about uniformity, maybe that's what it would be. And maybe in a world where everything would be sameness and oneness and agreement, then we could maybe think that this would be pretty easy. Yeah, we'll just all get along and be agreeable and we'll all be a happy family. But what's interesting is if we think about the body of Christ, there is so much more diversity in, in what Ephesians has for us. So this first calling of following is how I would sum up or what I'm seeing in these first few verses. So let's skip to Ephesians 4.11 where, um, where we're talking here about a bit more of what it would look like out of a different calling. So verse 11 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We see here that there's a list of, maybe I'm going to call them professions, identities, callings that maybe very specific people have. And one can read this list and think, okay, so I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not a teacher. Well, mind you, this isn't about making an exhaustive list of all the different titles or social constructs that we may have in society. This is about uniting the body and thinking about all of the different ways that we've been equipped for acts of service. And it's especially interesting as I think about the church, the church could easily become this pyramid where we may look to, well, God has called Pastor Jeff and that's great, and I will make sure that he will lead, and I will make sure he will tell me what to do, and, and uh, there may not, and I don't know, there may not be a role for me. But what this scripture is really focused on is talking about how we can all be equipped for works of service so that the body of Christ could be built up. There's a lot of, I don't know what to call metaphors or examples we talk about unity or all of us applying different gifts. I think of the classic band or orchestra example, like everyone gets trained in their own instrument and together they make beautiful music. Um, I would have never given a sports analogy ever, but I just got so enthralled with the Denver Nuggets playoff games and finals, and like sports, I just don't, I mean, okay, I understand how to watch basketball, like I get the concept of the game, and we go every year, my husband and I, we watch the Nuggets play every single time they play the Knicks, and it's really hard for me not to pull my phone, just because, and I know, like, he'll be like, but there's like, look at the game, the strategy, and I've always just kind of dozed off, until... I actually started to pay attention to what was happening on the screen. And then he explained something. I had to write it down just in case I forgot. There's this interesting concept, and if you're like a basketball person, please don't laugh at me. But the difference between zone defense and man defense, 
He was explaining to me that this is a different type of strategy to defend within the team. And he was like, but can you see one team's doing zone defense, another team is doing man defense, and you can see how is the strategy working for them. And then all, I will tell you, it was that one thing that just changed the way I was viewing the game. Then I was like, okay, are they gonna change their strategy? What's going to happen here? And then seeing like how the Denver Nuggets won, and then I then started listening to the commentators, which I've never done, ever. But it was so interesting to see how this team worked together and how they were able to win which I know they all win, but it's like thinking about the different players, the different skills that had to go, the different training that had to be poured and invested into these players. And of course, there's the classic body example, like the human body functions and works together and we have to take care of the body. And the body of Christ, and this is the example we're given here as an analogy, you know, the more we understand about the different roles that these analogies give, maybe the example of sports or the examples of a band or an orchestra of the body. You know, honestly, I found AMP really boring and I know there's a lot of physicians here and I had to take it when I got my psychology degree. But the times that I did, like I had to, you know, do the class and learn about anatomy and physiology, it was always fascinating. And I found that the more I learned about how it all worked, the more fascinated, I was like, wow, that all happened in my body I didn't even realize. Because the more we understand, the more value that we may see in how it all works together. And I think that's why sometimes it may be simple when we don't understand what could be the potential of the church that we may diminish its role. I say, well, that's the pastors and teachers, that's them, but it may not be us. But when we begin to see ourselves in these roles, to join maybe the team or a part of the body, then maybe there could be a paradigm shift of our role in the church. I have been, I didn't even know there was a conference executive committee. I've been sitting on this committee for the conference for our church. And it's really interesting because I guess I didn't know what to expect, but there's so much talk about oh, we have to strengthen our local churches. We have to move together, grow together. And I hear so much of that there. And it kind of, as I've been sitting through some of these meetings, I've sat and thought about the times where I haven't seen myself or felt like I haven't seen myself in a role in the church in the times that I have. And how much when I've been able to see the unity of the church, about how much it strengthens. And to have an up-close look during the COVID, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic here in Colorado in March and April, it was interesting because I um, got to see, a, I don't wanna say a different side because I don't think necessarily people changed within the church here, but I was able to be copied on emails or have conversations with people about who has a need who is isolated? Who can I call? I have these ideas for how we can continue to be a church. And maybe these conversations are still happening and I'm just not in the loop because I'm no longer part of the staff here. But it was just an interesting time to almost sense some momentum about how we were going to work together. Verse 14 
Um, actually, sorry, verse 13. Um, so in wrapping up that list, I want to emphasize what it says here. So until, actually, I'll go ahead and just reread it. So, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 13. Until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining for the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's essentially a calling to all of us, a calling to contribute, a calling to be a part of this body. So first calling, calling to follow. Second calling, calling to contribute. And the third calling I see in this chapter is a calling to grow. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And I think this is where we can see what I'm going to call the final phase of this chapter on ecclesiology, which is that there's this maturity that follows these contributions. And that hadn't really clicked to me as of recently because I'd thought, well, yeah, so if I follow Christ and I, my calling is to serve and then I, I support the church and I make my contributions, isn't that kind of it? But as we read verse 14, there's this idea of no longer being infants and then working together, this, this almost collective idea that we grow together. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. It's always still going back to this idea of speaking love, being gentle, being completely humble. And it's, um, and there's different ideas that I've heard about what is a strong church like. Maybe it's loaded in money, which would be really cool. Maybe it's full of people and bursting through the seams. And maybe that's what we would see as a very mature and stable church that's not in an infant stage. But it says it so plainly here. I mean, it's really hard to miss. I mean, speaking the truth in love, we will grow in respect in the body together. It's almost like as if these three sections of this chapter focus first on looking above, second, looking around how, or to yourself, how can I contribute, and then looking around and being this collective growth. It's essentially not a passive way to engage in the church. It's almost like it's putting us into action, having conversations about how do we grow as a church. Verse 16 from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. There's love again, as each part does its work. As I think about what it looks like to come together, to have a shared sense of purpose, I think about something that would result in that, which is innovation. Because that's what I think I was seeing while this all was happening, while we were pressed with boundaries and limitations. We were thinking about church differently, like that video stated. 
just thinking about how can we connect, how can we be an innovation? I mean, if we were able to talk together as one and talk about being united with purpose and think about things differently, maybe the first thought to mind wasn't, well, let's teach a church how to install Zoom on our computer. But let me tell you this interesting thing about the screen recording video that I mentioned earlier. We put out a lot of video content that year, but it was actually our most viewed video of 2020. Most viewed video was a screen recording of Pastor Jay putting how to install Zoom on your computer. And I still have access to those data analytics and I thought, okay, so I don't think it was like we were really lost and we had to keep watching the video over and over again. And when Pastor Jay did that screen recording, I am gonna imagine for him from what I recall, but it really was just how to connect to your Zoom group. But it was such a need that it ended up spiking all of our views. And I remember when I started pulling data analytics for the elders board when I was serving, I'd be like, oh, I don't know, should I say that our highest viewed video is how to un install Zoom on your computer? I imagine that's just one example of one of the ways that other people were getting connected to each other. It spoke to the time. It spoke to a place where we were all needing the same thing. We were all trying to figure out this Zoom thing. But the innovation, there's a list of things that I'm gonna mention here of things that were happening in the church that were different. We just hadn't done them, at least in my time here that I had ever seen. One of the things was, Marsha, we had some explorer tea parties, little ones gathering together on Zoom, having a tea party. Like, I never got to go, but Pastor Jay I know went, and he said that it was just such a blast, the kids getting together and hanging out. A Zoom tea party, Zoom trivia nights. We got together, and I don't know who, did anyone here actually go to one of our Zoom social gatherings and do like some trivia? Okay, I saw like the two hands reach up. Yeah, Zoom trivia nights. Who would have thought we would all get on a Zoom call and advertise and get together and, and play some trivia? On a Friday night, we started the Renew a Sundown service. The prayer team was putting that together and other collaborators. Something different. VBS was online. And if you haven't gone to our YouTube channel and looked at our VBS, and especially looking at Pastor J's Mr. E videos, I mean, would we really have had Mr. E with all of this happening? Maybe not. But you know, it had us, it forced us as a church to consider the differences. So my question is, how do we continue to maintain and grow with all of these biblical principles to the future, to the visions of what our church could be? And does it need to be a life catastrophe that leads us to get excited about the possibilities of what we could all do together? We're going to sing a song soon about um, oceans. And I know it's a classic song. And we're going to talk about, in that song, it really talks about letting the spirit lead you. And I suppose the way I should end this is by saying, well, let the spirit lead us as a church. Have it lead the way. But really, 
as we saw in Ephesians in the first three chapters that we didn't read, but highly recommend, is that's about the Spirit leading us first. Because we could start jumping into action and saying, yeah, well, put me in. Like, what needs to happen? Let's get excited together. But the body of Christ starts with Christ. It starts with that internal transformation and this idea of letting the Spirit lead us. Friends, I am so excited to speak with you all here again because I really do love this church and I enjoy being a part of it. But may this be an invitation for us to find the beauty in collaboration and overall unity. No matter the times, we are still the church.